Hey, this is Josh, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the Grace Church podcast today. I think that because you tuned in, you will better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we are living out our ancient faith in modern times, and we believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. So let's start with a little football story. Paul Bear Bryant is widely considered to be one of the greatest coaches to ever have coached college football. He coached for 38 years at Maryland, Kentucky, Kentucky, Texas A&M, and of course Alabama. All told, he won 323 games. He took 29 teams to bowl games, and 15 of those teams won conference championships. In the 1960s and 70s, no school won more games than Alabama. They won 193 games. One of his colleagues said he wasn't just a coach, he was the coach. And as I was reading about him this week, I was, it was fun to find this story about a pregame speech that he once made to his team. He had them assembled in the locker room, obviously right before the game, waiting to give them a few words as they go out. And as he did, he was pacing in front of them, making eye contact with each of his players. And he said, in this game, there are going to be four or five plays, four or five plays that will determine the outcome of this contest, four or five plays that will swing the momentum either towards us or away from us. I don't know which of these plays will happen. I don't know which of these plays you'll be a part of. And all you can do is go out there And give all that you have on each and every play. And if you're doing that on one of these crucial plays, and you catch your opponent giving less than their all, that will swing the play in our direction. And if we arise on that occasion, in those four or five plays, we're going to leave here today winners. It's very much like our lives, I think. Our lives are made up of a series of moments. Most of the moments of our lives are actually mundane, typical, repetitive. A few of the moments in your life are absolutely transformative. They will change your lives and the lives of those around you forever. Here's the tricky part. We don't know which those moments are. We don't know which ones are game changers, which ones are actually the moment In fact, we usually only know how important something is by looking backwards at our life. And we see in retrospect how important that conversation was, how important that time with God was, how important that discussion you had with your child or your friend. Only by looking backwards do we recognize, oh, that was one of those moments. Which is why the Bible encourages us repeatedly to stay awake, to walk in the light, to redeem the time. Our gospel says it this way, if the owner of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Inspires me. Just like the Bear Bryant story. Be alert, be ready, be awake. But there is a problem. One, I think we all know because we've all experienced this exact issue. 
Sure, we can stay awake, stay alert, be ready for a little while, but what if there's a delay? What if nothing seems to be happening? What if you don't know which moments are important? And so they kind of all blend together and seem the same. How do we stay alert, awake, and vigilant all the time? I get that. I get how you can do that during a football game when there are 60 minutes of play, but all day, every day when there's no countdown clock, no, no clock letting us know how much longer we need to stay alert and awake. Shoot, some of you can't even stay awake during my sermon. Forget 60 minutes. Forget your whole life. So how in heaven's name are we expected to stay awake for God's kingdom if we can't even stay awake in his house? So on this first Sunday of Advent, as we're entering into this time of this season of being awake, and that's our Advent theme this year, I want to give you a quick but very important distinction about your life in Christ, and it's simply this. This Advent season, if you want to stay awake, you're going to have to do so by practicing expectancy without expectation. Let me say that again. If you want to stay awake, if you want to be alive in Christ, you have to practice expectancy without expectation. Here's what Romans 13 says you know what time it is how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us than when we first became believers for the night is far gone the day is near paul gets it paul is compelling us to stay awake the time of sleeping is past he says time to wake up get up our inheritance that is our salvation is nearer than when we were first converted every day is closer. And we, just like the first Christians, are living in the last days. This is that very familiar tension that we as Christians live in of the now already of Christ's first coming and the now not yet of his second coming. And it's in this sense that Christ says, I'm coming soon. Paul the first Christians, they lived in a spirit of expectancy. Here's why. God promised us in his Messiah. He promised that he would reclaim his people as his own. He told them that their belief was real and that that fueled their hope. It carried them through incredibly dark times. And in the midst of their overwhelming sorrow, the Messiah came. And their mourning turned into joy. But somewhere along the line, for them as it does for us, expectancy shifted to expectation. You see, here's the difference. Expectation dictates its own terms. It sets conditions. It insists that the future look a certain way. That's expectation. Except expectation set us up, by the way, all the time for disappointment. And once disappointment sets in, it quickly hardens into apathy, bitterness, suspicion. Expectation has implicit demands. It wants to be fulfilled. And when it's not, we say to ourselves, oh, why bother? 
Why do we even try? Why do we even start? Expectations ruin us from the inside out. Think about some things in your life that you've had expectations for or of people that you've had expectations. How did that work out? Probably not so great. Expectancy. Expectancy, on the other hand, is something very different. It sets us up almost always to be thrilled. We live in that attitude of expectancy. We are rarely, rarely disappointed. Expectancy says things have to come in a specific way for me to welcome them. Expectancy says something good is going to happen. I'm not sure what. I don't know how but I'm going to be here to welcome it. We see this just a few chapters earlier in Romans chapter 8. Paul says that things aren't going as we thought they should. The world is riddled with pain and sorrow, but the whole creation is in a state of eager expectancy on the edge of its seat anticipation. Creation itself has a tingling sense of the extravagant goodness that's on its way. Paul's point is that the sons and daughters of God, that's us, me and you, we are to join creation in that eager expectancy. But additionally, we are in some way a fulfillment of it. Creation is actually waiting for us to arrive, for us to come alive, for us to be awake, to become fully what God intends And when we live in expectancy, it is so hard to be disappointed because we don't know when, we don't know how, we just know that God is up to something good, something very good. And when it bursts forth, whatever pain we've had in the past, it's going to pale in comparison to the goodness of God. That's expectancy. Expectation has its arms folded, eyes narrowed, brow furrowed and set. Expectancy is arms open, eyes wide, ears cocked, face attentive, ready for whatever comes next. That's being alive, alert, and awake. So which kind of person are you? Which do you have your heart set on? Expectation or expectancy? In 1916, there was this plague that swept through America and Europe. Within one year, it had killed five million people. The plague itself has pretty much been lost in the history books because in that same time, the great swine flu broke out. And in the first four months of the swine flu, 20 million people died. And by the time it was done, 100 million people had died from the swine flu. So not many folks have ever heard of or read about the great sleeping sickness of 1916, but it's real. The scientific name for it was encephalitis lethargia, literally a listlessness of the brain. Its symptoms were incredibly non-lethal. Sleepiness. Maybe you think you know some people like this. But it wasn't just any kind of sleepiness. Whoever got the sleeping sickness could not be woken up without incredible work. They virtually became comatose in their slumber. They would not wake up. Somebody 
if they came and shook them violently, if they poured cold water on their head, if they could do all these other things, pinch them and whatever, they could finally get that person to wake up, but only for a little bit of time. And then when they were awake, all they wanted to do was go back to sleep. As a matter of fact, once they were awake, those people, they were utterly and unalterably apathetic. They didn't care about anything. They just wanted to go back to bed. They suffered no pain. There was no memory loss. There was no depletion of body function. The vital organs remained intact, but they, when they were awake, were listless. And when they were sleeping, it was like they were dead. The scientists had no clue what caused it. There was no remedy, and almost all the victims died within a few months. As far as we know, sleeping sickness has only visited the earth once. But there is a spiritual equivalent. The good news is we know what causes it. It happens in those who live with an attitude of expectation. After insisting on something so long and this thing hasn't happened for you, then those with the spiritual sleeping sickness settle for nothing. Cynicism, apathy take over. That is the cause of a spiritual sleeping sickness. And I've seen it. I think you've seen it. These are people who just don't want to be awake in Jesus. Sometimes they pretend. Sometimes they come to church and go through the motions. But they aren't awake. And they haven't been in a very long time. There is a remedy, though. There is an antidote. One with expectancy. That even though we're living in this broken and messed up world, when we have a closeness with Jesus, we can be made whole. Jesus never gave his, did you notice this, by the way? Jesus never gave his disciples the exact description of what was going to happen next. He just kept saying sort of some vague stuff, like, hey, follow me. Trust me. Though there will be much trouble in this world, take heart. I've overcome it. The good that is in you and in your future will totally outweigh the troubles that you have to go through to get there. Just keep living in that eager spirit of expectancy. Follow me, he would say, over and over again. The Gospels are filled with these stories. That is our antidote. But how do we do that? There was a Sunday school teacher who once told her seven-year-old class about how to become a Christian. And then she handed out pencils and paper to each of the kids in the class, and she invited them, if they were ready to trust in Jesus, to write on that paper, I accept Jesus. Most of the children did so, but one little, world, one little girl got the wording muddled. And so instead of writing, I accept Jesus, she wrote, I expect Jesus. I like that. I think she got it right, actually. We need to stop expecting things from Jesus because that simply causes spiritual sleeping sickness. We need to expect Jesus. Not things from him, but him himself to be in us, with us, making us fully awake, fully engaged, fully alive. That's what this means. And so here's my point. You never know what curves Life is going to throw at you. You don't know what's lurking around the corner. But when we live with expectancy, 
We'll know what to do. When the crisis hits and one of those crucial Bear Bryant plays is suddenly upon us, particularly in this Advent season, if we live with Jesus, we'll be ready because we're with him, because we know him, because we have him. This is that season of expectancy, and I want to encourage you to embrace it with the wide-eyed wonder of a child who comes downstairs on Christmas morning before any presents have been opened, but just the expectancy of what that day is going to hold. That, brothers and sisters, is what Lent, Lent, what Advent is all about. So Josh is going to play some music for us right now, and I want to give us just a few minutes here of reflection, of quietness, where you can examine your own heart. And if you need to repent to God because you have lived a Christian life of expectation, then repent and ask God to make you expectant with Him. Let's pray. Your faithfulness is unending to us who so very often are faithless. Thank you, Father, that you don't hold grudges against us when we forget you, when we choose our way over yours. Instead, you just want us to come home. And so I pray, Father, that today your people here at Grace would come home yet again not feeling the shame of a parent standing over there wagging their finger, but instead the open arms of a father who is glad to see us again. Father, forgive us for the ways in which we have put expectations on you, on each other, on our world. Instead, Father, give us more of you that we might be filled with the hope that comes only through expectancy. We ask this, Lord, in your name. Amen.
We're so glad you've been a part of our conversation today. Our prayer is that you will take what you've heard and bring it to the Lord with the question, what would you have me do? To find out more about all the good things that are happening on our campus and how you can get involved, feel free to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on our website, graceofacala.org. Go in peace.